Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and we're continuing through the book of James, and we finished chapter four last time we were together, and now we'll be beginning the final chapter of James's letter, chapter number five. And once again, he mentions uh, in this passage those who are rich and wealthy. However, there is a marked difference. He speaks of their destruction and their judgment with no glimmer of hope. What's more is he does not use that term that he's used over and over, brethren. He has used the term brethren throughout the entire book. Brethren this, brethren that, my brethren this, my brethren that. This has led many a commentator and scholar to believe that he's not addressing believers, but pronouncing judgment on wealthy unbelievers. Yet he is making this pronouncement in the ears of the believing church. This is very common among the Old Testament prophets. They would pronounce judgment upon nations, but they were writing to and speaking to Israel. So they were talking about the nations, but not to the nations. In the same way, uh, this is what James is doing. And this brings a comfort uh, to God's people to know that the evildoers will get theirs, as it were, in the judgment. But I believe it also serves as a warning to believers who are envious of these wicked wealthy because their end is destruction. So we should not be envious of them. Uh, if nothing else, we should feel pity for them. And then finally, I believe this passage serves as an object lesson to believers who may be rich or become rich that they should not use their money or view their money in the way that an unsaved rich person does. I believe that all three of these aspects are fair treatments of the text. So now let's read the text. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. The Bible says this, Come now, or listen, you rich, weep and howl, for your miseries are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you, or even though he did not resist you. And so the first thing we note in verse 1 is a warning to the wealthy wicked. Much like in our world today, the world is ran by uh, very wicked people who are very wealthy. And those two things often go hand in hand. And James begins with a warning. He says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Come now. That means listen up. Come here. Hear what I'm saying. But notice he leaves no room for repentance or hope. He doesn't mention anything hopeful or to do with forgiveness. He doesn't use the word brethren. Rather, he states in a matter-of-fact way that misery is coming for the rich. And he tells them to weep and to howl. This speaks of those who are being tormented, crying out in pain. It, it reminds us of the rich man in Luke 16 who cries out because he's being tormented in the flame. 
James continues, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Speaks of the corrupted riches. Now, he's not condemning someone for being rich in general because I want to remind you that God has used and does use rich people. Abraham was rich. Lydia, New Testament, the one who helped Paul, she was loaded Joseph of Arimathea, loaded, rich, wealthy. So this is not a condemnation of riches in and of themselves. Now we must ask the question, why are their riches corrupted? Well, the next phrase does some good to answer that. It said, you've heaped up treasures in the last days. They, they had hoarded treasures for no purpose other than to consume them upon their own lust. Instead of to use them for the benefit of others, and to use them in a positive, godly way. Let me just say here, and I'm getting a little bit out of order, but saved people who are wealthy should not be such. To whom much is given, much is required. They ought to use their wealth to help their fellow believers and to support their local church above and beyond what the average man is able to put in the plate. They ought to give above and beyond to missions. Um, you don't store wealth for the sake of storing it. That is corrupted. That's corrupted wealth. It says you've heaped it up for no reason other than your own enjoyment. And you won't even spend it. You just keep piling it up. This indicates something. It indicates that the person who does that worships their wealth and their money is their God. Because they just can't ever get enough of it, and they don't want nobody to touch it, and they don't want to use it for anybody else or anything else. They just like to worship it and think about it and smell it and look at it. I mean, they worship it. Now, this reminds us of what Paul said to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so it's also wasted. It's wasted riches like the miser. You remember the movie... Uh, Christmas Carol, Scrooge, and he just kept hoarding money, not for any reason, wasn't using it for any, man, he just loved the money. It was his God. He was a miser. That's corrupt. That's foolish. It's unwise. So, well, why is it foolish? Because when money is your God, you're worshiping a God who can't save you. That's why. So in short, though, it's not wrong to possess money. It's wrong for money to possess you. Now, James goes on to give four indictments against the wealthy wicked. Number one, hoarding their wealth. We've already dealt with that. Number two, fraud. Number three, excessive living. Number four, attaining wealth dishonestly or by evil means. So hoarding wealth heaped it up, hoarding riches for no purpose other than the worship money of itself. It is said that in this world people love money and use people, but Christians are to love people and use money. The wicked wealthy store up money as if it goes with them when they should be using it to further the work of the Lord and to bless others. Sadly, I found this same attitude among Christians. They worship their money. So ironic. 
We look at most churches and the people that give the most faithfully are the ones that have the least. And sometimes the people that give barely anything, if anything at all, are multimillionaires rolling in money. My goodness. If they were to give what they should give and could give, how many more missionaries could we put in the field? How many more people could the church reach? You say, well, I don't see it that way. Well, that's a good indication. You may not be saved. If, you're, if your Christianity doesn't affect the way you view money, then it's not worth its salt. We call it a Christian worldview. It should affect the way we view the world. Nevertheless, I move on. And so hoarding it. Then we see fraud and said, Indeed, the wages of laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Sabaoth, not Sabbath. Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. Now, we have to put ourselves in context with James. In this day, they lived hand to mouth. They literally worked for what was called a day's wages. And it would be just enough money to buy barely enough food for one day. And then the next day, come back and do it all over again. No insurance, no 401k, no pension, no IRA, no dental, <laughs> no salary, a day's wages. And some of these wicked, wealthy elites, what they would do is they would shortchange their day laborers. And that's how they stayed rich and kept the poor poor. And God says, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing, and you're going to pay for it, no pun intended. Now, I understand we don't live in that type of economy anymore, but the principle still applies that if you own a business or if you're a high-ranking employee who's over others' salary, you ought to do everything in your power to pay them a livable wage and not to defraud them. You say, well, I just don't see it. Well, I, I can't help what you don't see. I know a man one time, and I worked for him, claimed to be a Christian, owned a business, and he paid lower than anybody else in that line of business. You say, well, that's you were just money. No, I'm just stating a fact. And I promise you this, if he is truly a believer, or even if he isn't, he's going to answer for that one day. He defrauded the working man. Now, you say, well, I, I don't, I'm not in charge of anybody's salary. I'm just, well, then just sit tight. This doesn't apply to you. But if you're a business owner or a high-ranking manager and you're over somebody else's pay, while you may not be a landowner with a day laborer, the principal, or let's put it in our in our language, the shoe still fits. And you better be careful. Now, that being said, we come to the next indictment. The next indictment. They would live in luxury. It says, you have lived on 
earth in pleasure and luxury. Just excessive living. Just, just, just spending money frivolously. Consuming it upon your own lust. I know people that have two houses. Two houses. I don't even have one that I own. What in God's name do you need two houses? You can only live in one at a time. We're greedy. We're, we're luxuriously driven. So people have five and six cars. We have two. My wife has one. I have one. And all the while their neighbor can't afford to buy their kid uh, something to eat. He said, if that don't happen, to the, yeah, it does. Oh, sure it does. Living in excessive luxury. I know people that have two or three boats. Now, what do you... Uh, one boat, but come on. It's a privilege to have a boat, but two, three? How many boats can you ride at a time? Excessive luxury. Be warned. Because to whom much is given, much is required. If you claim to be a believer... You should not view and use money in the same way that a lost people do. James says, don't worry. They're being fattened up for the slaughter. You know about the fatted calf. We hear about that that terminology used in the Bible. They would take a calf, set it apart from the others, and fatten it up on purpose. And the purpose was to slaughter it. And a fat calf, more meat. And so they were fattened one specific calf. And, and the Christian here is almost pictured as those other calves sitting outside the fence. Man, I wish to be him. He gets his own pasture. He gets four meals a day. He gets this. And I believe what James is saying, although maybe indirectly, is don't, don't be envious of them. They're being fattened up for the kill. It's easy, though, isn't it? I've done it. I know you've done it. We look at those among us who are wealthy, and it's like, man, what would it be like to be able to take two and three vacations a year? What would it be like to have a boat? <laughs> what would it be like? But I'm going to tell you something. Don't be envious of them because the wicked wealthy, their, their money will be a testimony against them. Now, Pastor, are you saying it, it's wrong to have that? Not, not necessarily. Not necessarily. But if those things have you, that's a problem. So excessive living. And then finally, the fourth indictment is that many of these wicked wealthy, they made their money dishonestly or by evil means. He said, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. Money had motivated people to kill. I mean, that's not new, and it certainly happens today. I, I used to watch Unsolved Mysteries when I was a kid with my mother. I still watch the reruns. And uh, I remember watching one episode where a guy had set his wife on a horse and went riding with her, 
killed her. And then, I mean, you know, ingenious, I guess, set it up to where it looked like the horse killed her and trampled over her, but in actuality, he killed her. His motivation? A million-dollar life insurance policy. People kill for money all the time. As Hank Williams Jr. said, he lost a fr- for $43. His friend lost his life. Heard a man say the other day, people nowadays will kill you for the shoes on your feet. That's true. The love of money is the roots of all kinds of evil. Now, not all wicked, wealthy, elitist, they may not kill somebody for the money, but they may gain it by some other evil way, by stealing, by lying, by cheating someone else, by taking advantage of someone else. I'll be honest with you, and I know this this is probably going to offend a lot of people, I know very few wealthy people, um, how can I say this, who got their wealth by working for a living. And I'll leave it at that. Many of them, you trace it back, somebody got hoodooed. And you say, well, you're just saying that because you're not one of Well, whatever. But the fact of the matter main, remains that the wicked wealthy that oppressed the believers in James Day that still oppress we talk about the liberal elites, that's that that's interchangeable. They fit the bill of what James is describing to the T. They want you to spend sixty thousand dollars to buy an electric car, but you can't afford to put groceries on your table. They're elitist. And they made their money by pillaging, raping, and stealing and killing. And then they spin it like they're the ones helping you. Liberal elitism is it, it, it's, it's not novel. It's been around for a long time. Now, again, because I, I know somebody, because I, I do know, I know uh, God-fearing Christians who are loaded. I mean, that, that again, the wealth is not the problem. It's how you got it, how you view it, and what you use it for. That's the question. Just being rich in itself is not a sin. And if I've made you think that, I'm sorry. That's not my intention. That's not James's intention. What is sinful is when you use it wrongly, when you view it wrongly, or if you received it wrongly. That's what's in question here. And I need to just keep clarifying that. Now, Two things can be garnered from this before we come to a close because this is kind of straightforward. Number one, you just remember that while it looks like these loaded, nasty, evil, rich people are running the world, and they are. (laughs) I mean, let me tell you something. George Soros ain't a choir boy. Uh, You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if Bill Gates turned out to be the Antichrist, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, in, in reality, they are. But James reminds us that their riches that they use to do so much evil and how they gain them, every bit of that is going to be held against them on Judgment Day. And that should comfort the believer to know that justice will be served. And secondly, we can look at it this way. If you are wealthy but you're a believer, then do not view or use your wealth 
the way that the world does. Be a Lydia. Use your wealth for the church and for the glory of God. Okay, be a Joseph of Arimathea. Use your wealth for the cause of Christ. That's great. That's wonderful. That's, that's why God gave it to you. But don't worship it. Don't, don't, don't take cues from the lost wealthy. Because in so doing, that, that will be a testimony against you. This is James's warning against the wealthy, 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 that's not even a word, against the wealthy wicked. Now I pray that you'll continue to study the book of James and we'll come back together next time in chapter 5.